G'day, it's Peter, and welcome to Office Anywhere, a conversation about working and living on purpose, whether that's working from home, walking your kids to school each day, or making a real dent in the universe. We talk about the stuff that matters versus shiny object syndrome, progress instead of perfection, and ultimately scaling your mountain to a life lived on your terms. After all, you only get one of them, right? If you want to earn your freedom and become who you really are, then begin with a free Work Anywhere trial guide at officeanywhere.co. That'll get you started. Then subscribe to this podcast for more ideas to live and work on purpose. Since I don't have time to film a separate video for each of my podcast episodes and blog posts, I figured that uh, this week I'd do something a little bit different and actually put my ugly mug in front of a camera and just read the podcast episode for this week, uh, which is also the blog post. And even though it's probably unexciting to watch my ugly mug staring back at you like this, um, at least it's better than a static image um, with a YouTube uh, audio. So I thought I'd give it a crack and just see what this is like. Um, but I want to talk to you about a photo that I saw last week shot by Curiosity Rover on Mars. And it was an incredible photo of Earth shot there from Mars with just this little dot floating out in space. And it reminded me of that equally remarkable photo of Earth shot from underneath the rings of Saturn. I reckon that's got to go down in history along with Earthrise shot from the moon as one of the all-time great photos ever taken. And both of those photos reminded me actually how ridiculous we all are. Back in 1986, Crocodile Dundee, that famous Aussie movie uh, with a lead played by Aussie Larrikin, Paul Hogan, Dundee was explaining to a visiting New York uh, reporter out in Outback Australia who actually owns the land. And he said, look, the Aborigines don't own it. Uh, it's kind of like a mother to them. See those rocks over there? They're 600 million years old. They're still going to be here long after you and I are gone. And arguing over who owns them is kind of like two fleas arguing over who owns the dog that they live on. Um, Hogan made and Dundee made stating the obvious kind of an art form. You might remember that famous scene in New York. That's not a knife. This is a knife. Um, But stating the obvious is easy. We can all do it. The hard thing is applying the obvious, applying simple truths in our lives. I mean, I know I should eat more leafy green vegetables, but then I'd have to, you know, buy them, prepare them and cook them. Um, I should exercise more, but I don't. I should probably take Tommy out of school for a month and go off on an adventure in the outback, but then who would look after my clients? So clearly I still have a lot to learn. But because of that, I think I'm perfectly qualified to share what I'm still learning about living and working on purpose because like all of us, I'm a work in progress and I figure that uh, when you stop learning, you're done, as in dead. So um, as a lot of you know who have been uh, listening to my podcast episodes or reading my blog for a while that I like to retreat to my garage of an afternoon or an evening um, just to write and to tinker and to ponder uh, and I always do it with a glass of Shiraz in my hand. It's also the place where I get a lot of my good ideas and the other one is in my car and I've written about what an enormous um, life hacking idea this has been for me to get in my car, switch on my voice recorder and just brain dump because my conscious brain is distracted with the driving so all the good stuff tends to come out without overthinking it. But I love sitting in my garage and just letting ideas percolate. And A couple of days ago, in a moment of clarity, which means it was probably my first class, um, I realised that the life I enjoy now, of which I'm very proud, has gone through five 
distinct phases to get to this point. And like signposts facing the wrong way, they've only become evident once I've turned around to look back. So these are what I want to share with you this week. Um, And the first of those phases, which will be no surprise to a lot of you, is working remotely. And I've said many times that working remotely has been the single best work-life choice that I ever made. I just had to check if I was recording there because I did this before and I forgot to press record on my Roadcaster Pro like a goose. I'm still pressing, forgetting to press, press record buttons. Can't talk now either. Um, but as for working remotely, I could talk about this until the cows come home. And I have, and I've, I've written about it extensively. Um, and millions of people are experiencing work from home for the very first time right now. Some hate it, granted. Uh, some need the office. Uh, some have got horrible spouses that they don't want to hang around with all day long and all night. So some people do hate working from home, but a lot of people love it. And of the people that I've spoken to who love it, they don't ever want to go back. They don't want to go back to the office. Um, so for the sake of brevity anyway, I'm just going to say this, that until you make working from home or an RV that's crisscrossing the country or a James Bond style hideaway up in the mountains, then until you make that permanent, you're going to struggle with the rest. For me, working from home has made all the other things possible. It's made the other phases possible. So uh, for some of you, uh, work from home hybrid arrangement is probably going to be the go. I know that a lot of people are talking about now coming into worship at the altar of the office water cooler two times a week and then working from home for the rest. And and that's fine. Look, that's better than, you know, it's better than nothing. It's better than having to go to the office every damn day, that's for sure. So, um, you know, some of you who are working from home now may be scared to go back, um, but you might get called back at any instant. That could happen at any time. Um, and the thing is, while you're working from home, there are smart ways to do it and then there's winging it. And since I've done it for over 20 years, uh, I figure that, that it's incumbent on me to share the ways that have worked for me and that I know have worked for many other people as well. So what I've done is in the blog post that goes along with this episode, which you'll find at officeanywhere.co slash 110, yes, 110, um, you'll find a number of links there to posts that I've written in the past as well as two of my courses um, that will help you understand what you need to do and be to earn the right to work from home permanently, um, notwithstanding any pandemic, uh, and also how to be effective as a remote worker, how to actually enjoy yourself while you're doing it and to be more uh, more efficient, more uh, productive for the people who are giving you permission to do this, as well as the challenges that we all face when we start working from home and the habits that you need to develop that are just non-negotiable, the tools that you should be using, all this sort of stuff. So, um Go to that post and have a look at those. Oh, what have we got? One, two, three, four. There's about seven or eight of them. Links there that'll be very, very useful. And I put a lot of research into putting those together for you. Okay, so that's phase number one: is working remotely. Phase number two, which comes from working remotely, is getting your time back. Now, the thing is, the only person that I know who's not busy all the time. Everybody I speak to is busy. The only person I know who is consistently not busy is my brother-in-law, Bobby. Um, you know, I'll say to him, "So, what'd you do Saturday?" Oh, nothing, just relaxed. Oh, what'd you do Friday night? 
Nathan just jacked back. <laughs> so everyone else is busy except Bob. Even my nine-year-old son, Tommy, is busy. He reckons there's just not enough hours in the day to edit his videos, to create his Roblox merch T-shirts or to work through the latest tutorials on hacking, motion tracking techniques in Blender. So that's, that's my nerdy son. He's a real geek, but he's, he's cool. Um, so what I'm saying is, is except for Bob, the best thing, the most important thing about working remotely is the time that it saves you. And don't forget, time is the one resource that we can't create any more of. All we can do is slice it and allocate it and prioritise what gets our time. Um, Each of us has 24 hours a day before the timer resets, whether you're a nine-year-old computer geek or you're the Prime Minister of New Zealand. You all get 24 hours. Um, Now, I save around 500 hours a year by not commuting. That is uh, 62 eight-hour days a year uh, or 12 working weeks every damn year. Uh, and that's because it would take me two hours to commute to my office and back if that's what I had to do. So I save a huge amount of time. And that's how I'm able to uh, create two blogs, host this podcast and serve a handful of multi-million dollar companies um, while still spending time every afternoon and evening with my son. It's because I have the time. What a break. All right. All right, next one. Phase three. Phase one was working remotely. Phase two was getting back my time. And phase three was using that time to start a side hustle. Um, Now, I can't really say that it was only until I got that time back that I started a side hustle because I've had them since I was a little kid. But certainly once you get your time back, you can have side hustles and still have a life as well, whereas before I was working until three, four in the morning like a maniac, which was stupid. Um, So... The thing is, I freelance. I've done stuff on the side since I was a little kid. I started, you know, hustling from about the age of eight, making stuff, selling stuff, collecting stuff, always figuring out ways to earn a buck. And um, the other day, I had an epic <laughs> podcast interview with uh, with my friend Mary Rogers from the US, and it almost went for three hours. It was amazing. But when I chat to Mary, it's like chatting to my sister. You know, we just take the piss out of things and we have a laugh and she's awesome. She's intelligent. She's sarcastic. She's knowledgeable, experienced, you know, I can chat to her forever. Um, but we, we both wondered where we had acquired this need for autonomy and self-reliance. Um, was it innate in people or could it be learned? And neither of us could really be certain uh, whether it was either. But both of us had been afflicted from a very young age. Like I said, I started doing stuff when I was eight and by the and she had a business with a couple of dozen employees by the time she was 20. So we've both always been like that. Um, the thing is, though, back in the old days, starting a business was really tough. It was risky. It was expensive. Um, and it involved a lot of moving parts and a lot of things that were beyond your control. Uh, It required permission from certain people to be able to be effective and successful in a traditional business. And still is the case today with traditional businesses to a large extent. Um, But today, you can actually create something that costs you almost nothing, that needs almost nobody's or nobody's permission in order to uh, put it out there into the world. Uh, It's a lot easier than it's ever been. You can literally build a six or seven figure business from home without any employees or fancy equipment. And matter of fact, my wife does exactly that, uh, all from a seven-year-old 13-inch MacBook Pro on the dining room table. So it can definitely be done, and it's being done by a lot of people. Um, But like any gold rush era, which is what we're in with side hustling, 
podcasting, online courses, all this sort of stuff, there are plenty of traps because once something goes mainstream, everybody wants a slice of the pie and there are lots of people out there wanting to part you with your money. So let me give you some ideas about starting a side hustle. And I've written about this in a number of places um, and one in particular, which I'm going to share with you in a minute. But um, I want to share some ideas with you first on how to be cautious as you set out on uh, creating something on the side. Um, The first is that if you only chase money, you'll probably fail. And there are plenty of reasons for this, um, but I want to give you a couple of important ones. The first is that you'll likely fall for get-rich-quick schemes. Uh, Lots of us do. I have. Um, And you just end up wasting money, spinning your wheels, wasting energy, uh, burning credibility, and you end up in a negative position. No good. Next thing is you might pursue things that you're embarrassed to share with your friends or family. Now, I don't mean embarrassed in the sense that you don't want to tell people about these cute little things that you're making on selling on Etsy because they might say, ah, that's, you know, that's small, small time, you're not going to succeed at that or isn't that quaint? I thought you were a, you know, a corporate attorney. What are you doing this crap for? Not that kind of embarrassed because a lot of people will just will not get what it is that you are wanting to do. I'm talking about doing stuff which feels sleazy, uh, underhanded, which feels desperate. Um, you want to be able to hold your head up with pride and say, yeah, I know it's small scale at the moment, but this is something that I love that I want to do and I want to get good at. And to be able to talk about it with pride to your mum, you know, to your colleagues, to your friends or whoever it is that you want to um, confide in with this sort of stuff. So you don't want to be embarrassed about it. Next thing is that if you're just chasing money, then you'll do things you don't enjoy, which means you'll probably run out of energy before you get anywhere. If you're just doing something to make a buck, and you don't get any pleasure out of it, I doubt you'll stick around long enough. Um, Another one is that you'll make poor decisions based on the wrong metrics. Lots of people are chasing fame, celebrity, visibility, um, but that is not a business. And if you're just chasing those things, you're chasing vaporware. So it's not going to result in much. The only caveat I would say for all of this is that if you're more like my wife, who is quite happy to do unpleasant work, you know, grunt work, repetitive work um, in an industry or with a product range or a service that doesn't particularly excite you, but the idea of creating the business and building the business is exciting for you, then by all means, go ahead. I mean, my wife has had a number of businesses from uh, fashion to grocery, frozen foods, uh, DVD hire. Um, None of them she was particularly excited about, but she liked the idea of creating something that was challenging and making it succeed. And that's what she's doing now. She deals in a number of product categories that don't particularly excite her, um, but she's doing a great job of it. She's building something that's growing and she's very, very good at it. And that's where she gets her pleasure from. Um, Okay, so another one is a good side hustle is usually found at the intersections. And this is kind of key, I think. It's usually found between something that you enjoy doing or talking about or curating and a couple of skills that you have already. And if you can amplify those with some existing credibility or leverage or influence that you have, whether it's through specific people or channels or industries, it's the intersection of these that gives you a great side hustle. So um, I've gone into this in a lot more detail in a post which has been hugely popular, shared a great deal on on social media. It's called Create a Business from What You Already Know. Um, if you go to the post that goes along with this episode over at officeanywhere.co slash 110, then you can download, um, sorry, you can go to that uh, post and that will tell you all the stuff that 
I would otherwise spend another 10, 10 minutes here sharing with you. Okay, the next one is to start small and move one step at a time. Uh, one of my pals, Steph Crowder from Courage and Clarity and Fizzle.co, told me a while ago not to worry about step 37 until I get to step 37. Just worry about step three, where you're at now. Because there's a very good reason for this. Chances are you will be a very different person. You'll have better resources. You'll have more knowledge and more leverage by the time you get to step 37. Trying to do step 37 when you're at step three, you'll either make a complete hash of it or you'll just have no clue what to do Um, or you'll take stupid risks or you'll get the wrong advice. Deal with things one step at a time. This is the beauty of doing stuff these days in an online world is you can iterate gradually. You can correct mistakes quickly. You don't have to um, bet the farm each time you make a decision. So small steps. Next one is serve first. And this goes back to a lot of people wanting to be highly visible, to be famous, to be celebrities. And the reality is, is that that again is just vaporware and good branding Building a good brand is the side effect of doing the right thing. Now, I know that you can certainly build a very strong online profile, a social profile. And, you know, the interview I did with with um, with Tash and Viv from Ace the Gram a few weeks ago is testament to that. Their workshop is brilliant. The strategies that they, um, they advocate are very, very good. Um, but I also want to reference what, Joshua Fields Milburn and Ryan Nicodemus said when I met up with them in Melbourne a couple of years ago, they said, don't be too concerned about social media or direct your direct engagement with it. Do great work, serve people, and sooner or later they will begin to share um, what you're doing through their social channels and your social profile will build as a result of the work you do away from social media. So you can approach this two ways. I don't see anything wrong with doing both at the same time, but don't just try and build up some kind of um, loosely held together uh, brand of you through social only without the substance to back it away from social. So serve first. Another one is stay humble. Keep learning and don't try to act bigger than what you are. People, especially people with power and influence, can spot bullshit as a mile away. So don't try and fake it till you make it. Do great work. Do the hard yards. Another one is it'll probably take a lot longer to earn a buck out of this than what you expect. Uh, So make sure it's something that you're prepared to refine and iterate over the long haul. Play the long game and know when to pivot if required. Now, Seth Godin, whose blog I've followed for Yonks and I read every single day, it's the only email that I'll read every single day. Seth wrote a brilliant post the other day called Good Ideas. Uh, and I'm going to read you a short ex- an excerpt from it, and I've linked to it in the uh, the blog post. But here's how it goes. And then what happens? Bloody phone. And then what happens? Repeat the question a hundred times, because after every good idea, there are at least a hundred steps of iteration, learning, adjustment, innovation, and effort. Starting with the wrong idea is a waste of energy and time, but not committing to the 100 steps is a waste of a good idea. That's a good segue into phase four, which is become a better version of you. Now, like you, like a lot of you, I am kind of tired of the whole be the best version of yourself movement. Um, I kind of wonder why everything that we strive for has to be the best or the fastest or the greatest. You know, what is so wrong with better? Um, When I was 22, I reckon you would have struggled to find a more 
energetic, ambitious, and impatient person than me. Um, you know, I wanted to make it big, and yesterday would do just fine. Thank you very much. Uh, being the best and getting there the fastest was really important to me. The dumb thing is, I have no idea who I was competing against. Um, I don't know, but that's what's the thing. You know, when you're young, dumb, and full of ambition, um, there's not a whole lot of logic behind it. Um, fast forward 30 years, though, and I've learned a thing or two. And sequential failures will do that for you. Here's what I've realized are the most valuable things that I can have. Number one is peace of mind. Number two is good health. Number three is good relationships. Number four is the time to explore and to appreciate life. And number five is working on projects or passions that matter to me. The rest I've found is window dressing. It's just distractions. And interestingly, neither fame nor um, status or great gobs of money are required to achieve any of those five things. So let me explain what I mean. Thing is, once you rest back control over where and how and to an extent when you work, well, then you free up precious, immensely valuable time to explore other opportunities, to tinker with a side project or begin freelancing a little. You get time to discover what makes you happy and to um, to broaden your earning potential through other means, whether it's selling stuff or consulting or whatever. Uh, the thing is it gives you the headspace and the bandwidth to look at what's possible for you in your life. That extra time also helps you repair and improve relationships with those that you care about, particularly your kids, your partner, and your parents. Instead of collapsing on the sofa each day after, you know, a day in the office and a commute, you can actually go outside and kick a ball. You know, you can, you can help out around the house. You can go for a walk. Um, you can just talk. I mean, imagine just talking just for the sake of it, having a conversation with somebody else and not with a phone in your hand and not with a TV squawking in the background, just you and somebody else having an interesting conversation. You might be surprised just how invigorating and satisfying that can be. Okay, so now we're on to phase five and this is where it all leads and this is where I'm at now and that is you can create a life that you're proud of. The thing is, in about 120 years, almost every person who is alive today will be dead, including you and those that you love. If you're around my age and I'm 52, well, then you've probably got a few decades left if you're lucky. So how much of your remaining time will you spend doing things that bring you happiness and joy and peace of mind? How many beautiful moments will you experience before your joints go stiff, before, you know, your heart starts skipping every now and again before your bladder starts to leak. You know, how many great moments will you enjoy before you start to fall apart? Having gained control of my time and engaged in a few important projects, important to me, and having set aside time to spend with my family, my life these days is unrecognizable from those early anxious days. Yes, I was ambitious, but I think that ambition was driven mostly by anxiety, not by um, anything altruistic or anything with a long-term vision. Um, I'm improving myself every day. I'm learning, I'm serving, and I'm growing. And now, because of the changes that I've made, I've been able to create a life that I'm proud to call my own. Uh, in recent years, I've taken up golf I've with my son, and I've bought a dirt bike so I can go riding with my son out in the bush. 
I fixed my finances yonks ago. I've rediscovered camping and I cemented a bond with my kids that'll last a lifetime. And that's not a recent thing. That's something that um, has built up over the last two decades because I've always been available for them, you know, to pick them up and take them to school, school concerts, uh, awards, you know, at 2.30 at the school um, uh, assembly, that sort of stuff. I've always been there for them. And, you know, now that I have more time, I'm devoting more of it to my parents, you know, and I'm planning new adventures as we speak. So these five phases manifested a whole new life for me because of deliberate decisions that I made that supported them. And each phase revealed new lessons and fresh opportunities to learn and improve and be grateful for what I already have. I know I'm just a quark on a dot in the inky blackness of space, but I'm getting better at learning how to live my life on purpose. And really, in the final analysis, that's all I ever wanted. Anyway, that's enough philosophizing for this week, I think. If you want to read the post that goes along with this and access the links that I've mentioned, then just go to officeanywhere.co slash 110. And uh, until we chat again next time, here's to living and working on purpose. Catch you then. See ya.